Hi, I'm Michael from Pittsburgh. This is Laurel from Oakland. Hey, I'm Allison from Cincinnati. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. The world of web comics is a remarkable one, one that is full of funny and beautiful and remarkable things, and often very geeky things. But the world of web comics had not to this point had much in the way of humanity's geekery until Kate Beaton hit the scene with her comic strip, Hark a Vagrant. It draws on the worlds of history and literature extensively, um, taking important historical figures down a notch and uh, generally making the world safe for, you know, librarian-type nerds. Um, Kate Beaton, welcome to The Sound of Young America. Thanks very much. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, it's good to be here. You're from um, you're from Nova Scotia. I am, yeah. So are, are there a lot of people in Nova Scotia who, at you know, sixteen or seventeen, decide to go into a career in in web comics? Well, I wasn't one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> um, there might be now. Uh, uh, I couldn't speak for that. When I was sixteen, seventeen, we didn't really have the internet. Uh, it it kind of trickled in a bit slower, maybe. And this is, I mean, I, I should point out when you say we didn't really have the internet, it trickled in slower. Yeah. I'm I'm 30 and I think you're younger than I am, right? 28, yeah. So when you were 16 or 17, we're already talking about the, the end of the 90s. Yes. But no, it was slow coming, like everything. <laughs> when you went to college and um, uh, got internet for real, I presume that's when you got internet for real. Yeah, well, actually, I never owned a computer until I was 22, maybe. I think the year I graduated <laughs> university. Um, but I would use the computer labs. Uh, that's kind of like having the internet. When when do you think you realized the potential of the internet? Like what the what the significance oh. of it was? Oh, well... I, I I guess it, that that depends on, on what you're talking about exactly. I think that I should say for you, like for you, you know yes. what I mean. Not, oh, I mean, for obviously, me. For me. we we all learned about the information oh, superhighway yeah, from yeah. Al Gore in 1994 or whatever. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but like for you personally, like what the ramifications of it were? Oh, um, I think that I it was probably around 2007. Actually, uh, that was when I was living in Victoria, British Columbia, and. Um, and I became friends with people who put their comics online and they, you know, they saw what I was doing and said, you, you should do this too. You should put them on the internet. Um, and, uh, and I kind of saw how that worked out for them. And I thought, well, I should give it a shot too. Um, and, uh, and I did. And that's, that's that. <laughs> <laughs> how did that actually happen? Like, were you just drawing a picture in a notebook on, in a cafe and somebody came up to you <laughs> no, and said, hey, nice no. picture? No, it was by chance. Um, I uh, uh, two people. I met um, I met Ryan Pequin. He's a he's a cartoonist, uh, and he lives in Victoria. And I I worked in a museum with Emily Horn, who uh, is one half of the comic Asopter World. It's an online comic, 
A very, a and, very popular uh, one. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. And, um, uh, you know, uh, getting to know them, um, I used to make albums of, of comics and put them on Facebook because Facebook was new then, and I thought that was a good way to share things with my friends. And uh, and you know, they saw this, and, and Emily was like, you really should just have your own website because um, uh, I, I have mine, and, and we do very well, and, uh, and I think that you would be popular. And I thought, well, that sounds good to me. <laughs> it would be nice to be popular. What was what was informing your comics at, at at that point in your life? Were you trying to make something that was like a newspaper comic strip or like a hmm. you know Love and Rockets comic or, or what? No, I was really unfamiliar with a lot of comics at that time. I I started to try and educate myself. I would go to the comic store and ask what what's good to read, and you know they always love that question. They're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Just like shove you into some section and let you mill around. Um, no, I uh, um, I was making comics about my life and about my friends because that's what friends like to see is themselves <laughs> in a comic, <laughs> uh, you know. And then do one about me, and you go, okay, well, and uh, and it's nice to make people feel good, and that's what I that's what I wanted to do. I guess I wanted to make uh, my readers, who were my friends, feel good. So I was making, you know, little jokey in in joke type stuff, and then history stuff on this uh, on the side as well. Um, and then that eclipsed everything else. How did you come to the subject of history for your comics? You were a history major in college, right? Yes, I was. So let's let's start by how did you come to the subject of history as just an interest in your life? Oh, oh, since way back. Um, that that's like uh, you know why do you like the things that you like? You just you just do. You you've liked them for so long you forget why. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and I've I've always been interested in that, and it and maybe it's because, uh, you know, history and culture is is such a big part of of uh, Nova Scotian identity sometimes, and or maybe it's just because I'm a dork. I don't know. <laughs> um, I I always like you know my dad and I would watch the old like whatever was on that that had anything to do with history. We're like leave it here. Like we we really want to watch this and. Uh, um, I just I just went for it all the time. I would get my hands on on books to read and uh um was fascinated by old things and old stories and folklore and all that that kind of stuff. Uh, and it made sense to to go to university for history. I was a double major in history and anthropology, but uh um it really wasn't a tough decision. There's something about the history comics. There's sort of this recurring theme which is that you know some of the jokes are are about events. But a lot of the jokes are about just the disconnect between us mm-hmm. totally understanding that human beings are just human beings that are like human beings, but also <laughs> that there were times when things were completely different in ways that are completely non-understandable to us now. Yeah, yeah. It's fun to juxtapose those things. Um, and, and it really, I don't know. It, it kind of helps put things in perspective, and it, and it's like it, it's an obvious, obviously a good setup for a joke. Um, but uh, but hopefully sometimes you can do it in a way that makes you think about then and now, and uh, and uh, have a little fun at the same time. It's the sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the cartoonist Kate Beaton. Her webcomic Hark a Vagrant has been collected into a book. She brings her distinctive wit to a cast of characters that is primarily drawn 
from history and old literature. I want to ask you about the aesthetics of your work. Sure. One of the things that's interesting to me about the world of webcomics relative to the world of comic strips, mm-hmm. um, like newspaper joke comics, is that the aesthetics are so much more varied on the internet. Yeah. Yeah, you have that freedom. Do you think that people who are writing for comic for for newspapers are are getting is it because they're getting funneled into a specific aesthetic or is it I mean how does that how does that divergence happen? I don't know. Um I I was a guest this year at the Rubin weekend, which is the the National Cartoonist Society gathering where all the newspaper cartoonists um are. <laughs> it was amazing to meet them. Uh, uh, you know, you never expect to meet the person who does Marmaduke, but there he is. Uh, and uh, it's hard to even imagine that Marmaduke comes from a person. Yeah, right. It's like some of those things you just take for granted. They've just been there forever. We I watched a man drawing, and it, there was like a crowd of his friends around chuckling, and then you lean in closer, and it was just Dennis the Menace's head. <laughs> <laughs> you just never ever expect to see that in your life, and it was amazing. But they all like the. The thing about it is um, they're all very proud of their work and, and they're good at their jobs, which is, you know, it's not an easy job to um, to have this strip of, of characters that's a bit like it's limited to a certain amount, I guess. Um, and uh, and to do that day after day for years uh, following the rules of the syndicate, which is, you know, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of things you need to abide by there. <laughs> um, and uh and so then you know you get the impression that uh that we're just we're just running on different tracks, you know. That's that's what they wanted to do. And for a lot of them that's what was available to cartoonists. There was no webcomic and there was no not a lot of indie comics. I think that in the last 10 years like there's been a, this crazy emergence of uh of comics into into a bigger thing, into a more mainstream thing, you know. Um and uh and I I just think that now there's more options, um, and and there are still people who want to do newspaper comics, and there are people who want to do other things. Newspaper comics are this very specific kind of challenge. The mm-hmm. challenge is you create this, you have to create a kind of I- iconic character in yeah. some way, something that someone would want to put on a T-shirt. And then you have to write a new joke for that character every day forever. It's hard. <laughs> um, um, it would drive me insane because I, I can't I can't keep my my brain in one spot. It's oh, it's always got to go somewhere else. Um, uh, I, I even felt constrained by doing only historical comics for a while. I I realized that I I could do whatever I wanted, and I I, I broke out of that and felt much better. I, I want to ask you about that though because. You know, one of the things is a a newspaper comics artist can say, look, I work for a syndicator and they send my work to newspapers Mm -hmm. and it's my job to deliver this one particular thing, Mm -hmm. which is its own kind of challenge, certainly. But you can kind of, if you're in that position, you can kind of throw off the responsibility for everything else onto the man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You definitely can. And when you're creating a webcomic, you're in this position where if you do something that isn't what your readers want from you, it means a it's a there's a direct relationship between that and you, whatever, not eating. 
Yeah, the line the line between the artist and the audience on the internet gets very very thin, and uh, and people expect to have access to you in a certain way, and it's important. You need like in order to succeed online, you really need to to sort of foster an audience that wants to support you. You need to build a relationship with them. It's important. Um, and then you, if you're doing it well, then if you change your mind about certain things or you go in a different direction, then they'll be on your side, you know? Early on in your career, you did uh, a, a fair amount of your output was autobiographical comics. And yeah. you have moved uh, decidedly away from that. Was there a point where you were uh, uncomfortable with how you were sharing yourself with a public that you increasingly could see either, you know, on your computer screen or at a, you know, convention or whatever? I became conscious of the fact that my audience was growing a lot. And, uh, and it, you know, the ones about myself to a small audience, it seemed like a kind of like a nice personal thing. And to a bigger audience, it was just like laying yourself out. <laughs> and it, it, it meant different. And I also wanted to take the focus away from me. Initially, the, the website was called katebeaton.com because I figured that my friends would be able to find that and remember it. And then I, I wanted to retreat a, away from that and take the focus off of myself because um, because I it just wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, I like, I like doing autobiographical stuff because I like reading autobiographical comics. But I didn't want it to be the the thing that I was known for, the main focus. I wanted people to come in to see the comics and and to to like them and and not really, not really think about me as much. You have um, you've published work in the New Yorker. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to describe uh, the scene in this cartoon, and I'm guessing that without having it in front of you, you can deliver the punchline. Mm. Um, it, it's some cowboys enjoying some uh, a pot of beans around a classic cowboy campfire. One of them is being uh, served by uh, an older lady with a, g- giving him a, a scoop full of beans. Mm. <laughs> I thought we agreed. No moms. <laughs> uh. So <laughs> I, I know that like thousands of people submit cartoons to The New Yorker mm-hmm. every week since it's one of the only venues that runs that kind of cartoons yes. that is, you know, pays and has prestige and so forth. Um, how is it different to write that kind of, uh, that kind of piece rather oh, than I, writing for an audience that is so deeply engaged with you and, and your work? I didn't write those. Um, I, the, the New Yorker cartoons were a partnership between me, um, oh God, bad grammar, me and no, Sam Means and I, uh, <laughs> Uh, Sam Means is a, a, a writer. He he works for The Daily Show and he has worked for uh, The Onion and um, Weekend Update and that sort of He knows what he's doing with, with comedy stuff. Um, and uh, and we were looking for something to do together and I also wanted to challenge myself. Um, so uh, so I didn't write those, but but he would send the ideas and we would go back and forth um, with uh, with a draft or two and uh and then have the the finished product to um submit um and yeah it, it was different it was i was used to just to just putting things up because i could and i i i guess i wanted that that validation of an editor saying this is good enough to get in um and and to to challenge myself to become a better artist because 
you work differently when you're trying to impress somebody, and and impressing them means getting published or not, and uh, and also composition skills and everything turn into a different ball game when it comes to a single panel comic. Um, but uh, but yeah, the you're you're you are going for a different audience, and you're not even going for the New Yorker audience. You're going for the New Yorker editor. <laughs> That's who you uh, you want to to slip it past. Um, so, uh, uh, you try to go for a certain aesthetic, I suppose. Um, and maybe an idea that there is a New Yorker sense of humor, like there is a a New Yorker style joke. And I, I kind of adhered to that. Um, but then recently I was on a comics panel with Roz Chast, who is an extremely nice lady. And, uh, and she was like, you should just do what you want to. You don't have to make a New Yorker cartoon. You should just make what you want to make because that's what she does. Well, <laughs> She's easy amazing. for Roz Chast to say, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> I suppose so, huh? Um, but uh, but it's it's true as well because uh, you know I I don't know I um I, I, one part of me thinks well like you want this as a if you want to do this as a job or if you want to to keep this up then you should adhere to a certain aesthetic or a certain uh, line of humor and then the other part says why don't you just do what you want. More with Kate Beaton after a break. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by the menswear blog Put This On, presenting the Put This On Gentlemen's Association. Members receive a handmade pocket handkerchief in the mail every 60 days. Gift memberships available. Shipments begin December 1st with delivery before Christmas. More information at PutThisOn.com. And by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. Online at Ask.Metafilter.com. Hey folks, it's me, Jesse. The blog at MaximumFun.org is livelier than ever. That's right. The days of me just posting two hip-hop videos every week are over. If you haven't been to MaximumFun.org in a while, or if you've never been, now's a great time to check it out. Rebecca O'Malley is our new blogger. Forum goers might know her as Resilient Rabbit. And because of her, we've got tons of great stuff at MaximumFun.org. You can find great Overlook comedy videos, commentaries, a comprehensive alumni newsletter, updates on past guests on the show, and even live dates every week for everyone who's ever been on The Sound of Young America, organized by place. So wherever you live, you can find something good to do this week. Not to mention, of course, Colin Marshall's Pod Thoughts podcast reviews, a great place to find out about new great podcasts. And don't worry, I am still posting two rap videos every week. Use your web browser, subscribe to the RSS feed, whatever. It's all online at MaximumFun.org. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the cartoonist Kate Beaton. Her webcomic Hark a Vagrant has been collected into a book. Instead of being about talking dogs and cats, her strips tend to be about things like the Bronte sisters and uh, the War of 1812. this friend who works in comic book publishing Mm -hmm. and he told me the number of people in the united states that uh regularly read comic books i don't remember what it was but it was like half a million or something like that or Mm -hmm. 200 and 300 thousand yeah it was 
A best-selling comic number book th- is like a hundred thousand or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I it was a number that that shocked me at how small it was. Yeah, um, and I, I don't know if that's because you know I distribute a lot of my work on the internet when it's not on the radio, and and so maybe I just have a disproportionately comic book aware audience. <laughs> but you've done you've done some traditional or a non traditional versions of traditional superhero comics. Yes, and, and I wonder what your experience was of coming to that as a person who, despite being a comics creator, didn't come from deep roots in comic book world. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that kind of like I have every episode, every issue of uh, Uncanny X-Men. Yeah, for sure. No, there was like, you know, um, when I grew up, there's just no comic book stores around. I think the nearest one was probably five, not five, four hours away. And I didn't set foot in until I was in my 20s. Um, and uh, uh, so I, I'm blissfully unaware of a lot of that stuff, <laughs> except for watching Batman cartoons, maybe. Uh but I find it fascinating. I find the whole thing really interesting, and I and and the readers really sort of move me. I don't know when you go to a, a comic show and you see the the people dressed up and excited. They're just having fun. Like it's 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 so nice to see these people just just wanting to have fun and like enjoying the thing that they enjoy the most with a crowd of other people. So I I think that the the superhero stuff is really like interesting uh, and 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 I I like learning about it um so I I enjoy making comics about it because you you also kind of make comics about people's relationships with with the character not just the character themselves uh which is always I guess maybe one of my favorite ways to approach a topic in the first place um and I got um I got hired to well I mean hired uh I got to do strange tales for Marvel which is they they put out a um these comics that indie writers and and artists make and they can just you can just take any marvel character that you like and make a make a small comic about it and it gets published by marvel uh and it was really fun Every, there's all these kind of like like backwards and, and interesting takes on uh on the characters um and uh and and the uh, people enjoy it and i i like reading about it and i like kind of poking fun at, at things uh and um uh, i don't know it's yeah Let's talk about one of the stories that you did. I read some of this one that you did that starred uh, Rogue yeah. from the from the X-Men. Yeah. So first of all, tell me what what made you pick this character out of all of the thousands of characters, including many that are sort of inherently funny because of their ridiculousness. Um, and, and tell me what the story that you told with her was. Sure. Um, I, had, uh, I had picked already Craven the Hunter, and I, I needed to do two. Uh, and Craven Hunter's from Spider-Man, and uh, he's really hilarious. And then I, I kind of wanted to do female, uh, so, like, I had a good combo. And I went through a bunch of, of female characters, like uh, Kitty Pride is very um, well-liked, well-loved by audiences. And uh, I thought that the disco one was really funny. What was her name? Dazzler. She, she like, has disco powers. <laughs> she was amazing. Um, and, uh, and then I, I settled on Rogue because I, I liked her power. She just like, if she touches someone, she takes their power away from them and she absorbs it herself. So if you could fly, she'd touch you and then she can fly and you're kind of sick for a while. <laughs> um, so, so in the comic, well, I thought like, you know, uh, 
if, if you're a regular person and she touches you, what happens? I don't know. Um, but uh, uh, in the comic, she's she's like dancing to headphone music and uh, unaware of her surroundings, and she tips over a, a vase, and um, and it's Professor X's favorite, and he can hear it because he's super genius. He hears everything. <laughs> I don't know. He, he has a big computer that tracks his his vases. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and he could sense that it was rogue because he could feel like guilt or whatever. I don't know. Uh, and less school than Professor X. Um, and uh, and he went looking for her. And she's like, oh, no, I'm going to get in trouble. I got to do something quick. And there's a kitten on the floor. Um, so she's like, I'm sorry, kitten. I have to take your powers. And she touches it. And then she gets these huge, like, like adorable eye eyelashes and, and big <laughs> moon eyes and, like, a super cute face. And she's just radiating, like, adorable and then he comes around the corner and he's about to get super mad and he's like oh oh look at you like I can't stay mad at you you're so cute and he starts petting her head <laughs> so she gets away with it because she stole the kitten powers um, you you made this great thing I, I, I twittered that you were going to be on the show and uh, about seven different people sent me links to this uh, great thing that you did with a couple of other web comics creator oh, creators female characters Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and I want to talk about that a little bit. Sure. Uh, tell me first, where did this come from? Did it come from, uh, I know it came from a Twitter conversation, but I couldn't find the, you know how Twitter no, is. No, actually, it came from, than... uh, we were at Carly Minardo's house, uh, Meredith Grand, Carly, why can't I say her name? Carly Minardo and myself. Um, and uh, and it was like a party. And uh, uh, Carly drew for a friend the the pose that I often draw that hilarious comic pose where you can see the butt and the boobs at the same time and she's like supposed to be functioning like a human being there's an astonishing amount of use of the like three situations in someone's life where someone might twist their torso as far as it will go yeah like like a horrifying uh like exorcist <laughs> thing and i've seen like um i think Oh gosh, any 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 kind of pose: climbing a ladder, fighting, jumping, just standing around. Just I don't know. So anyway, <laughs> she, uh, she uh, Carly drew that, and then uh, um, we all started drawing it. We all started drawing like these characters and tried to make them the worst possible thing, <laughs> and had a lot of fun with it because they're just like uh, you know when they when you have people like some somebody hands you and they're like here's here ladies or here whatever this is this strong female character for you and um and and sometimes they're just just horrible just horrid people who have no personalities and they're just they just shoot guns and have sex and they have like they're like robots like weird terrible uh psychopaths and uh, <laughs> um <laughs> don't so, hold back Kate I know no that no, I won't um so we just that's what these the uh, these characters that we made, their jobs, they're supposed to be fighter pilots, which by they're, they're wearing like extremely vague pilot looking things. Someone has a pair of goggles and like a hat and some, someone has a helmet and mine has like a jumpsuit or something. But the ass is cut out of the jumpsuit and the, the <laughs> boobs are just sort of hanging out. And they're, they're really tough and cool. So uh, one of them just has like sunglasses for a bra and um, one has sunglasses <laughs> on her face and then another pair on top of her head. Um, and, uh, and one, one has a bra made just of bullets and, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're just, they have a lot of attitude and they're, they're horrible people. I mean, there's, <laughs> if it's a commentary on this kind of, 
this kind of weird construct of what positive female role models or feminism is yeah. as created by a, a bunch of dudes whose interests are sex and violence. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. But you, you see examples of that kind of thing all over the place. And it's just it's just funny when someone hands up to you and says, you know, yeah, I'm really I, I really love this character. And I think that, you know, she's a great female lead or whatever. And you're just like looking at, at what they're showing. You're like, why are you trying to trick me? <laughs> we all... Can you tell me and our audience what the names of the uh, the strong females are? Oh, they're awful. <laughs> they're awful I, yeah, I, I was trying to figure out like which parts of them I might have to bleep on the radio, but I think just I'll suffice it to say that they are they are uh, uh, weirdly vulgar. But go ahead. Yeah, sure. Well, the one with um, with bullets for a bra. Her name is Georgia O'Keefe, and uh, <laughs> the one with uh, with eye patches on her boobs um, and, and a pair of sunglasses on her head and her face uh, <laughs> is uh, Susan B. Asthony <laughs> and uh, the uh, the one who's she's wearing almost next to nothing and, and uh, has like a sunglasses for a bra and uh, um, goggles on her name is uh, Queen Elizabeth's and uh, we just we just wanted to get all of the the like vulgar female body parts in there. <laughs> so it was it was a challenge to come up with a name that that was like bam bam bam, um, and awful, just terrible. It's it's fun to make terrible things sometimes. <laughs> I, I get the I get the feeling that the that the world of web comics is someone who's not super steeped in it. Mm-hmm. Um, is a lot more open to, um feminine audiences and aesthetics and tastes and creators then i mean it's a you know it's a it's a modest achievement to be more open to those things than the world <laughs> yeah. of superhero comic books mm. but um but you know even even newspaper comic strips are still very it's a very very male world with, mm. with relatively few exceptions um wh- why do you, where do you think that comes from or I, if it's if it's actually true, or if I'm tell me I if I'm making that it's, it up. It's a much more even playing field uh, when it comes to indie comics in general, and uh, and I suppose I would put web comics in that category. Um, but it's just I guess the idea that like, especially online, anybody can make a website. So why wouldn't anybody? Like, who's going to say no? Uh, so everybody does, like, <laughs> no matter who you are. There's just no, there's no barriers there at all. And if it's good, it's good. That's all it needs to be. It's just, uh, if it's a good comic, then it kind of rises to the top. And that's, uh, that's the main criteria. People really have a deep connection to you when you make something like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's something where it is really an important part of their identity in a way that I don't know, Kathy or Marmaduke. Well, people have a really personal reading of history, and I totally understand that. I, I definitely have, you know, your own personal heroes or, or whatever. And uh, and if you write something about somebody from a certain city or a certain country, somebody feels represented by their interests then, or, um, uh, you know, your personal hero or, or whoever. Because obscure is a really relative term. It just means that someone doesn't know about it, but to somebody else, it's their most favorite thing, and they're so happy that 
um, this thing that they love so much is being shared in this way with other people and celebrated because that's that's really what the comics kind of do um, and uh, and so that's why that's why I wanted to start if I can um, I always say this but uh, you know branching out into places that I'm I'm less familiar with I'm I'm so uh, entrenched in Canadian British American type history and I have readers from all over the place and they just you know if you if you put something up, I put a, a comic up at, over the summer about Mexican history, and you get all these emails with like, "I'm so glad that you did," and um, it, you know, he's my favorite, and I loved it. And I thought it was so funny because because you were represented, you know. Uh, it's 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 nice to include people in in the same way that I um, that I used to include my friends <laughs> in my Facebook photos, uh, uh, comics. Uh, it's nice to give that feeling, and, and maybe it's because I'm from Canada, which is kind of an underrepresented place in the in the great big area of uh, of entertainment and uh, popular culture. And because I saw a lot of your history is is very sort of popular culture type stuff, and ours isn't. But um, but people like it, and they like uh, they like it when it's made you know kind of fun and accessible and good, and and something that you could share and that everybody can like. Kate Beaton, I, I sure appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much. Hey, no, it was a real pleasure. Thank you. Kate Beaton's comic strip is called Hark a Vagrant. It is now collected in a gorgeous book from, gorgeous and hilarious book from Drawn and Quarterly. Um, Kate, thanks one more time. Hey, thank you. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer, Julia Smith. Our editor is Nick White. Our intern is Colin Walzak. That's Colin with two L's for those of you keeping score at home. If you have thoughts about the show, you can always send me an email. My email address is jesse at MaximumFun.org. And always remember, all good radio hosts have a signature sign-off.